Welcome back to another episode of the Think Deeper podcast presented by Focus Press. I'm your co-host, Will Harab, joined as always by Joe and Jack Wilkie here in early November. Um, guys, I was thinking just real quick, because I know this is these discussions are always fun. What's the best month of the year? I think it's got to be either October, November, or December. One of those three, um, as far as if you're ranking months, I think that's the top three just in some order or another. My birthday's in December, so I'm kind of a December guy, but then Thanksgiving is in November, which is objectively the best holiday. So I don't know. We might be in the best month of the year right now in November, but I with I mean, you guys are some of the most opinionated people that I know. So I'm sure you've got a take on this as far as what is the best month of the year. So let's hear it. I have either April, the month of my birthday, but for, for same reason as November. Anticipation. In my opinion, April is spring. It's gorgeous, but you're anticipating summer. So you're starting to get some of the weather of summer. And again, my birthday is happening, happening to be in that time. But then usually most people get out in May. And so you're ready to go for summer. But now that I'm older and I'm not in school, I would say November for the anticipation of you got Christmas coming up. Thanksgiving is the best holiday. Um, usually good weather. Yeah, it's usually decent weather, but you're starting to get some of the cold. Um, so it's good for apple cider. It's good for a cup of coffee at night, you know, decaf. Like it's it's just a nice time. It's crisp. No, you might be right, Will. I love November. And again, for the anticipation of things, as you're kicking off the holiday season, since I've disavowed Halloween um, and, and <laughs> don't use that as the holiday season, this is when my holiday season kicks off. So yeah, it's pretty there nice. You go. So since leaving Texas, I rediscovered how much I love September and October. In Texas, everything turns brown, but it's still 95 degrees. September has the best weather of all year. October, you got the fall colors. You've got NHL starts, NBA starts, football college football's going, NFL's right, yeah. going, World Series. Like it's the best, probably the best sports month. Um, the cooler weather, the cool mornings, but warmer afternoons. Yeah, I, I'm an October guy. But that's October. true. Really, the the last third of the year is just the best best part of the year. Before we get to the episode, um, we're still going strong with the Godly Young Men podcast every Tuesday. Um, we're releasing an episode. It's also one of our only YouTube podcasts as, as far as video podcasts. Um, and so if you're, if you consume more that way, just wanted to remind everybody of that, uh, the target age range is, uh, young guys ages 15 to 25, but we've got guys that are older than that. Listen. Um, and so I would just encourage you if, if you're somebody who's got a, a young man in your life, a son, um, you know, brother, spouse, whatever it is, 15 to 25, somewhere in that age range. Send them to the Godly Young Men podcast. We cover a wide variety of topics pertaining to um, being a young man, being a godly young man. We, we talk, we talked, we've had multiple episodes about being godly husband, being godly father, um, the importance of working out. You know, again, kind of a wide range. A lot of them are very um, serious, important biblical topics, and then others are just kind of more. We still think that they're serious and important, but you know, not not as you know strict on certain so. things. And so, yeah, maybe a little bit more lighthearted. And so, um, we pray that it's been. Um, something that's been good for for young men, kind of steering them in the direction of godly masculinity as opposed to what the world pushes, which is either a no masculinity or kind of a cheap off-brand fake generic version of masculinity. And so, yeah, um, I would just say, again, if you've got a young man in your life or if you are a young man listening to this podcast and did not know about the Godly Young Men podcast, take a look at it either on YouTube or on your podcast app. Um That's all that I've got, guys. Anything else we want to cover before we get into the episode? Yeah, Joe, go ahead. Yes, we are... And I think you're getting to this, um, or maybe you said it and I zoned out. I apologize. I hear kids in the back. No, I did not. Take it away. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking <laughs> to do a limited engagement because with our schedule, specifically your, your schedule, Will, um, we are looking to do four uh, different speaking engagements next year. Now, that could be for if you uh, are looking for maybe a, a youth rally or if you're looking for a men's retreat or whatever it may be or just for us to come to your church will and i are looking to offer that we still offer our think deeper seminar if anybody's interested uh jack has a couple seminars on his own um i don't know if you're still offering the lost generation obviously church resets a big one you've done will i think you've got your own with with youth and and maintaining or, or helping with youth and family coming together i have a couple on sexuality um i have been developing one on masculinity myself but Will and I are very excited about this. We uh, First off, we just love traveling together. So if you want us to come to your church, that'd be a good time. Um, but also, yeah, we're excited to be able to present some of the gym podcast ideas and offerings and such in person. So if you're interested in that, we are, again, four at max five, but I think we're sticking at four speaking engagements next year. 
So if you are interested, if lock you them in now, year, <laughs> lock them in now, because we're going to get things set and get things rolling. So yeah, we just want to mention that as well. But uh, I think this is, yeah, there's, there's been a bit of a long introduction. So, so Jack, go ahead and get us into the outline and, and the topic for today. Yeah, we're going to start up front with a uh, disclaimer that this is not the listen in the car with your family one. So I'm sorry if you're currently listening in the car with your family. Uh, oddly enough, I think it was last November, we did a little bit on sexuality. We had Dr. Brad Harabon to talk about um, uh, fertility practices, especially uh, episodes that people found very useful. And so uh, we're, we're glad for that. But we're coming back at it. Um, just reexamining sexuality and the church and essentially how to talk about it as the church. Uh, that, that's something that's really hard is it's kind of out there that we don't. And so when I say disclaimers, we're, we're just going to say it. We're going to say words that you might not want to hear younger or have younger kids here. Understandable. Uh, hopefully you can catch this uh, at a later time if they're around right now. But having said that, we'll, we'll go ahead and get into it. It's something that from the pulpit, you can kind of talk about it generically, but it's really hard to get into specifics. Christian couples have questions. I mean, Joe, as a therapist, deals with some of these questions coming up, but you, you hear about it in, in these discussions and kind of what should be talked about, what shouldn't be talked about. You know, some of those questions, frequently asked questions, what are they and and what are good scriptural answers for them? What does the Bible have to say about any of this? I mean, there's it's it's a hard discussion to have because of it's awkward, because it it's not for all ages. Uh, and so it's pretty kind of, kind of hard to have sermons on it. But on the other hand, even in adult classes, we don't get into the specifics all that much. And so that's what we wanted to explore uh, and, and kind of talk about how difficult this whole conversation is because of the negatives surrounding all of it. Well, and so let's, let's get into that to start with. That's what I was going to get into to start the discussion. And Joe, then I'll hand it off to you. It's the, it's the, two ditches thing that we talk about so much on this podcast we in the church see the one ditch that is really really bad which is the way the world presents sex which is the way the world talks about it and glorifies it and it is everything to them and of course they they pervert it they twist it they degrade it into all of these just again things that are you know debaucherous and so we in the church see that that's a really bad ditch that we don't want to fall into so what do we do we go all the way to the other side of the road and we risk falling into the other ditch, which is never talking about it, never answering questions that Christians have. I mean, a lot of times we act like it doesn't exist. And this is what, and maybe this is not the place to, to bring it up, but this is why I think this is such a big deal and something that we have to be talking about is because we don't really discuss it in the home very much. A lot of you know Christian households with kids, they don't talk about it. And I know that because I've talked to a lot of young people. It's like, yeah, that, that never gets brought up in our house. We don't bring it up, you know, in the church. And so it's almost like we we relegate it to a non-existent part of our life. Like, yeah, we kind of we kind of acknowledge that it exists, but we we don't ever talk about it. And so, in my opinion, and I think these guys share that opinion, that's almost just as bad of a ditch that you're that you're swinging to the other side of the road to to fall into that ditch because we don't want to be over there with the world and and degrading it and and, and perverting it. Yes, agree. We're gonna talk a lot about that here in just a second. But as we set this episode up, both sides of the road, you know, both ditches on the side of the road are really bad that we don't want to fall into. And the church right now, again, I also think in most people's households within the home, they're about to fall into the ditch of their kids and, and a lot of couples. Joe, you could, talk, you could talk more about this. They're going to the world for their answers. They're going to the Internet for their answers. They have questions. They're curious. They want to know. They're not going to the church because we don't bring it up. Kids aren't going to their parents because we don't talk about it. That's really bad as well. Joe, what have you got? I, I want to add this just briefly before you get in, Joe, that as you get older, like as a kid, you, you don't hear about it or whatever. And as you get older, the times you do hear about it or or hear Christians talk about it, it is in a joking manner. It's in a, you know, this this that taboo thing kind of. And that in itself, I think, adds to the confusion, adds to the difficulty. Yeah. Sure. I've lamented this before, but you go your entire life. Maybe you got to talk. 15 minutes is as awkward for the parents as it is for and you. And a lot of parents don't even do that. A lot of parents don't even do that. You get to marriage, it's never discussed. And if it is, it's like, don't do it, don't do it. And then you get a 15-minute classic Church of Christ ceremony, and all of a sudden, the entire world of sex is opened up to you. And we wonder why people struggle. Well, and, or the other thing is 10 or 12 years old, you know, if, if you went to public school or, or whatever school, so you got the say, sex ed class. Oh, yeah. Well, not, not that. I'm just saying oh, the yeah, sex ed too, class. Yeah. And then you've got a bunch of 12-year-olds hearing this stuff going, and I mean... 
I wasn't publicly educated, but I was on sports teams with the kids that were, and you could tell when they had had that class, they came to practice. That's all they were talking about. And you got all these 12 year olds talking about everything they learned. And it's like, yeah, that's a healthy way to teach. This is just throw right. it out to, you know, like they need to know, but like teaching them in a group setting and then letting them go and dissect everything they learn. Pretty weird. Well, and a lot of people learn their sexuality through porn. And so when they get into marriage, they have all the expectations of thinking their wife is a porn star and that's not the case. And so no wonder why we have so many marriages that are really messed up. We're at the, at the back end of the episode, we're going to spell some things out and, and work on some things and, you know, kind of work our way through the text biblically through culture where we're at. Um, but on the back end, and this is something Jack came up with. I love this advice for pre-marriage advice for young married advice for married with kids and advice for older married folks. Uh, we're going to give advice for all four. We're going to try to get, do two to three or maybe four different points for each because there are so many dysfunctional marriages when it comes to sexuality. I work with this a lot. So trust me, I've seen this. Uh, these things are out there. And I think there's a lot of people that, man, their sex life is not well, great. And they may be happily married, but their sex life is terrible. And a lot of times what I would say is they're not happily married because the sex life mirrors the relationship of the rest of the marriage. Not that the sex is the most important. It's a microcosm of the rest of the relationship, whether they're connected, whether they're intimate with one another, whether they are able to connect regularly, or if they go in long spells of a month, two months, three months without it. So there's a lot that sexuality says about the life of a relationship, of a marriage. Uh, we're going to get into that some. Go and ahead. one of the things that we want to do with this episode, and it's a frustration of mine that a lot of pulpits do, and I think Jack briefly referenced it, is if we do talk about it, it's very generic. It's very vague, nothing specific, nothing Nothing that's very helpful because it's all just kind of ambiguous and, and general. And and I guess, Jack, you did already bring this up. We are going to get specific. We are going to talk about, no, these, this is practical advice. This These are things that, you know, we're not just going to kind of give the generic answer to. And so we're going to, yeah, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I was just going to say, we don't say from the pulpit because kids are present, right? Well, we don't want kids right. here. That's fine. So then we have an adult Bible class and we still say nothing we'll in the, do the adult same Bible thing, class because right? <laughs> what's the excuse now? Kids aren't present. What's the excuse now? Well, now it's just really, really awkward. Well, while we've been super awkward about it, the world has been advancing an agenda for the last really 100 years that has decimated America and gotten to the point where the church has relegated sex so much. It's not part of we have no sexual theology at all. We have no idea how it relates to God. And the world continues to advance the ball where we are doing things that that would make Sodom and Gomorrah blush. Truly, it's unbelievable the amounts that we have out there. And what have we done? Where has the church been? We've been silent. We've said nothing about this. And we wonder why we have so many people that fall prey to porn addictions, that fall prey to adultery, that fall prey to sexual uh, fornication, to all sorts of sexual deviancy. What did you expect? You don't talk about it and you leave this vacuum and they fill it with the world. Go figure. I think this is, I don't want to jump ahead of us too much here, but this is also one of the really big issues of, of the intergenerational thing and tradition and things being passed down. This is stuff that maybe we shouldn't have to address from the pulpit on a podcast in, in classes or whatever else that the older women should be teaching the younger women. The, you know, men can have these discussions among themselves and Hey, you know, young buck, this is what you need to know, or Hey, you're not handling this right or whatever. Like you could treat your wife better. Maybe your sex life will be better. Things like that. We don't have those kind of male to male relationships or male only spaces and those kind of conversations. Women, the advice and I, I you come across this a lot. The advice from older generations is awful. This whole women hate sex and it's just a chore that you got to do for your husband. That's the stuff that's been passed down in recent generations. You can't look to them. That is no help whatsoever when you've got the older women doing that kind of stuff. And so they're understanding of, of their sexualized culture and, and what they grew up in and what they're parsing out like we're having to go back to uh, again to the basics to the scriptures but also to human tradition of like how this should be to get this back on track because man it's one of those where you're just looking at something and going how how do i fix this thing that's broken and there's just some things you go that's not fixable Let's throw right. that whole paradigm out and work on something like go just start from the ground up again, because the porn thing, it's not fixable. If a guy comes into marriage with a porn view of sex, not fixable. It's you got to scrape the whole thing. If if you come in with that, oh, I'm, I'm going to hate this view of sex, not fixable. Like you, we've got to scrap a lot of stuff. Yeah, get it down to the, the foundation, so to speak, down to the studs, as they say. You look at, you know, where has this problem gone or what you might say, well, isn't it better to not discuss sex? than again, Will, to your point, the other ditch, right? To just hypersexualizing things. 
we've created the hypersexual because we have to remember sex is God's thing. Sex is inherently a godly thing. Why did we let them take it? It would be like if we let them take communion and pervert it and they ended up doing all sorts of stuff. It's like, that's our thing. That's our thing. God created it. That God instituted this. Why did we take something that's beautiful, something that's intimate, something that God designed and allow them? But Satan's been doing this for years. Satan's been distorting these things for years. But you look at what has come into the culture, the hypersexualization, the the TikTok, the OnlyFans where girls, random girls are taking their clothes off. Like, how do we get to this point where they are, they have no dignity? Right. You look at the 50s and, and guys like uh, was a John Money and um, what's the other Kinsey, Alfred Kinsey. Thank you. Alfred Kinsey. Couldn't remember the guy's name. Alfred Kinsey, the sexologists of the 40s, 50s. Uh, they were in, in Hirschfeld and all the way back into the Germany of the 1910s and such. You got some serious weirdos out there who have been pushing these ideologies. Freud was another one. He sexualized everything. Um, and it was kind of like the fringe, you know, yeah, those are kind of the weirdos. And then somewhere around the 60s, it was flower power. They decided, hey, we're just going to do our own thing, sexual revolution. 70s is sex, drugs, rock and roll, do whatever you want. 80s seemed to kind of lean more toward money, but this is the rise of MTV. This is where you're sexualizing regular stuff. Yeah, you could always find the Playboy magazines. I think that started in 1957. You could always find the Playboys, the Hustlers, things like that. But sex was, you go to the seedy parts of town. With things like MTV and then into the internet of the 90s and AOL and it became very and visual and accessible. It became yeah. very visual, very accessible, and in, in the day-to-day. And that's the difference is I could turn on the TV and instead of going to the Playboy channel, I could watch it on MTV, highly sexualized, Duran Duran and and you know, Def Leppard and all the, the hair bands of the 80s and such. I don't think Duran Duran's a hair band, but whatever. Well, and they there's started also... hypersexualizing everyday life. You also go from, you know, I Love Lucy or whatever, the, the, show, the shows in the 60s, Brady Bunch, or whatever, they've got like separate beds for the couple. And I don't remember which one of those it was, but that was like the TV standard to the point in the 90s where your, your major sitcoms, all the characters have a new girlfriend that, you know, they're, they're talking about Seinfeld. they're sleeping with. Yeah, but then you also had like, I think it was, uh, not that I watched it, but just having studied the history of this, I think it was NYPD Blue was the first one that started putting, you know, like, really sexual content on primetime tv you know abc or whatever channel it was you know seven o'clock at night like this again you don't have to go looking for it it's right there before the news i mean like the 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 decline in 30 years was just insane and so that's how we get to today is everything sexual and i think it started with allowing it to be more mainstream more mainstream more mainstream until the point where you know we always use miley cyrus we're we're beyond miley cyrus at this point she was kind of the disgusting one of the 2010s, and now we're even beyond that into what they're doing. And so we have hypersexualized the culture. And we get to the, I was just going to say, we get to the point where, <clears throat> who was it on the Grammys last year? Cardi B, wasn't it? That's like, that's, you know, just perverted sexual, basically pornographic uh, performance on live television that oh, yeah. basically the the world, you know, sees no problem with. And Celebrates. that, that, that's so Joe to, I guess your point is, it all started in the really in the fifties with with kind of that, and the end result is where we've gotten to now with the drag queen story hour, with the pornographic performance on the Grammys, and the world doesn't seem to acknowledge that you know how far it's gotten to. Like you said, making Sodom and Gomorrah blush. This is where we are now. And where's where's the church been since the fifties? Yep. We should have been driving this. We should have been reclaiming it. Whoa, 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 no. That's, you know, we're going to talk about this. We're going to get a positive sexual theology. We're not going to let our kids be part of the sexual revolution. And yet how many parents stood by and watched as their kids engaged in uh, LSD and going to Woodstock and, and sleeping around? You know what I mean? Like there are plenty of church members that the kids were doing it either unbeknownst to them or just said, hey, we don't care anymore. And they kind of sat around and said, well, what are you going to do? And the next thing you know, their kids. And so they kind of sow their wild oats. Then you have and that's that's the baby boomers. You have Gen X who comes along, and Gen X is more of the 1980s, just make money, right? I mean, it's it's fascinating, the point, and I don't mean to beat a dead horse on this, but it's so fascinating to see the points in culture that make a difference and how every generation views sex. I think our generation, millennials, really started viewing it almost as a, as a transaction, right? And it's not so much the prostitution, but kind of like this is our social status, our social standing. And it's who we are. We started defining ourselves. And Gen Z, you're really seeing this with all of the rampant transgenderism. They define themselves by sex. That's a really dangerous thing to do. But when the church doesn't give you an alternative, what are you going to do? You're going to define yourself by your sexuality. 
um, because the church isn't saying, hey, here's why it's good to be heterosexual. Here's why it's really good to be a man. Here's why it's really good to be a woman. We don't have those discussions. These are the, the podcasts that make it biggest here is our masculinity and femininity. Why? We don't talk about it. I, I would say this too is like the efforts that have been to go counterculture have just been using their framing. Like yeah. there was the modest is hottest thing. Like uh, the, so you're, you're agreeing that hottest is best, but you know, this is just the different way to do it. Like, Oh, I'm coming at it mm. from the other angle. And then, I, I mean, literally this is one of the weirdest things in the world, but you, you see this from time to time. They sell t-shirts that say virginity rocks. Oh yeah. And it's <laughs> like, Oh yeah, I'm cool. Cause I don't sleep. Like, it's not about being cool. It's about being virtuous. It's about right. uh, like knowing what you're after. It's and, and having your, your values lined up and things like that. But it's just this accepting of their framing. And that that's got to go. Like, again, as I said earlier, throw the whole thing out and just start on, hey, as a young man and what you guys are trying to push with with godly young men, you're going to be a virtuous man who treats women the right way. As Paul told Timothy, treat them as sisters because they ain't your wife yet. Um yeah. And, and with the dignity and honor as, as women, you're not going to go out there flaunting and, and flirting and throwing this at guys. No, you you know who you are and, and that those are good things. And can I just say, and this is a point, Jack, you kind of brought up a second ago, this falls 75%, maybe even higher on the dads at, at home. That's mm -hmm. who it falls on. You're Jack, you're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, teaching your sons to be virtuous towards women. I'm sorry. That's the, that's the father's responsibility, teaching your daughters to, you know, not just, uncover themselves at all hours of the day and post it all over social media and, and, you know, seek out guys for attention. I'm sorry. That's also on the fathers. And I understand that not every young person has, you know, a dad in their life. Most of them do. And so I'm not talking about those who don't, I'm talking about those that who, those who do to me, this is why we, we hit this a lot in the godly young men podcast. We hit this a lot on this podcast. The, the home has got to be reclaimed. The, the sexual, um, the sexuality, biblical sexuality has got to be reclaimed. Yes. By the church. It's got to start with dads because that's who it's on. And we've got way too many dads who sit back. They're watching the TV shows that, that you know, maybe they grew up on the TV shows with friends and, and Seinfeld or whatever. And so they don't really see it as that big a deal, but they're letting the world, they're letting public schools disciple their kids into the world's sexual theology. And so again, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I lay 80 to 90% of the blame for this on fathers because they're the ones not stepping up and teaching their sons how to be virtuous and chivalrous. They're the mm -hmm. ones letting their daughters, maybe even buying the clothes for their daughters that make them look like you know prostitutes out on the street and posting it all over social media. It's on the dads, in my opinion. Well, and this is, uh, we're going to beat this dead horse, play this broken record, whatever metaphor you want. If dad's got a porn problem, he's not stepping up and handling this. In the right. That's what I was about and, to say. and that is such a massive statistically. I mean, it's, it's a huge issue. And so of course they're not going to drive that train. That and if they have a very frustrated sex life, you know, the, the husband and wife, dad is going to have a very difficult time really taking charge sexually speaking in the home to say, this is the way we're doing it. We have a positive, you know, healthy sexual theology in this home. God rules over this domain. That's not in his marriage. That's not while he's looking at porn. So who is he to step in and start establishing this grand vision? And I would say every dad needs a vision going forward as to what are we going to do about this? How are we going to train our sons not to, to engage in this stuff? How are we going to make sure the relationship matters most? And how are we going to make sure our own sexuality is not currency? My daughter's hot. Therefore, she's got a lot of sexual currency in the bank, right? She's got a lot of sexual money, so to speak. Or, well, we got to play to our strengths. No. Stop viewing sex as a currency and start viewing it as something that's that's dignified, something that's holy unto God, and start viewing it in a positive way that is a, a you know, again, a, a godly thing. We can't work from that framework when we ourselves are not godly and when we ourselves don't have a positive sexual theology and we're not living it out in our homes. And so that kind of brings us so, into, unless we have something else we want to go into, I wanted to bring it into what does the Bible say about it? We talk about it well, being godly all day long. We just talked about all the problems, and I just want to say there might be, you know, a, a husband or a wife listening, like, well, that that's us. We've we've got this problem in our home. I, I, we're going to get to advice here in a minute, but like, if if you're in a place where that's the problem, and and you're not handling it, you're not teaching your kids the right way, you don't have the good life yourself. You got to talk about it. Like this has to be communicated. Yeah. As as a friend of mine, I was kind of looking for feedback and suggestions uh, on the episode. It said, like just teach couples you need to talk about this amongst yourselves of like why don't yeah. we have a better one i would like a better one let's figure out how to and part of the problem that's hindering that is if if he's got a porn problem whether she knows it and he's gonna have and and he's got to own up to it or she doesn't and he's gonna have to confess it 
okay, that's a really big hurdle. Get over that hurdle so you can make make things better. Things don't get better until you get over that hurdle. And even if you don't have that problem, start opening up the conversation to figure out how do we improve this because a lot in our home flows from if if we do this right or not. Well, that's such a good point because a lot of people want to fix, they'll, they'll come to see me for problems with their sex life. And I immediately go, okay, tell me about the rest of the marriage. I, I don't care about your sex life until I know the rest of the marriage is in line because when the rest of the marriage is in line, the sex life will be. So if you're struggling sexually speaking, what is your communication like? Do you feel you can communicate about that? Is your communication good? Or are you leading each other or is, is the husband leading the wife spiritually? Do you have an emotional connection? Women need to feel safe in the sex life and a man needs to feel like he can conquer and like he can be a, you know, like he can be the stud, right? He wants to be a good man of God and know that when he comes to his wife, she wants him and he wants her. And it's a beautiful thing. If that's not taking place in the day-to-day, you guys don't want one another. It's a logistical marriage where all you can talk about is logistics. And then you come to the bedroom and expect to be satisfied. Of course not. You're not going to be satisfied. So working on your sex life starts far before you ever get to the bedroom. It is how do you live the day-to-day and how intimate are you in your lives? Because secrets destroy. To your point, Jack, if a man struggles with, with porn, oh, I could never tell my wife. She knows. And she may not cognitively know, she knows deep down and she will close off because this is the way a husband and wife is. If you guys have been married long enough, she absolutely knows something's off. And that destroys intimacy quicker than anything else. Secrets and and lies. And what I see helps the most is a guy that comes out, he talks about his porn addiction or he talks about, I'm working with a guy right now who I've cheated on you three separate times, right? With three separate women. Breaks the marriage. It goes down to the studs, the foundation. To your point, Jack, we can't just work with what we have. We have to decimate everything and build up a new house. It can be done, but you will never have a fulfilling sex life if there are secrets in the marriage and if you guys are holding things back from one another. It just won't happen because there will never be full intimacy, which is why fornication is wrong too. How can you open yourself up when they might leave you tomorrow, right? I mean, we'll get into that a little bit, but yeah. yeah and so I, I didn't want to derail getting into the Bible thing. I just wanted to leave it if like, hey, if, if you got this problem, Talk about talk it first, about it. you know, and then so it. we'll and we'll get to more advice here in a bit. But I just wanted to not leave that hanging without giving some actionable thing. If somebody's listening, going, "Yeah, sure. that's us." And I wasn't even planning Start. on getting into that advice later, but yes, communicate about it. Right. Talk about so it. So if you want to get into Let's the next thing into, now, I won't yeah, derail will, you. Again. If you want to get into, you're all right. If you want to get into the biblical, will take us away specifically yeah. in <clears> terms of God, basically why God created it. Yeah. So we've talked about the the way the, the world takes it and the way the world hypersexualizes everything. What we got to start addressing, asking and answering is what does the Bible say about it? Because the Bible does have a lot to say about it. And so we need to know that we need to be able to teach these answers to their kids. And I think it starts with understanding, Joe, you, you brought it up earlier, just the very basic principle that God created it himself. Kind of like, you know, the, God is the one who instituted marriage. God instituted sex. That was his thing that he created but why? What What is the reason for that? And Joe, this is something we talked about on our Godly Young Men podcast actually very recently, is that if you asked a high school class, even an adult class, hey, what, 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 uh, why'd God create sex? What's the point of it? What's the purpose of it? You'd either get a lot of blank stares of people going, uh, I don't know, or what would be the most common answer that you get? Why did God create sex? What would be the most common answer that you think we get? Oh, for reproduction, right? To, yeah, procreation, to, to, to have kids. That's kind of been what the church has relegated the teaching of sex to um, is that it's just for reproduction. It's just for procreation. And so, again, if you listen to the Godly Men podcast, I apologize. This is going to be a bit of a kind of a, a, a recap here, but most people I, I don't think do. And so the point that we made in that podcast was young people look at the church's definition of sex and purpose for sex, and it's what? It's just reproduction, having kids. Then they look at what the world, the way the world paints sex, and what do they see? Oh, fun, pleasure. And so it's no wonder that they head towards the world's definition, the way the world paints it, because we in the church only paint it for reproduction purposes. And so, Joe, I'm going to you talk about one of your favorite books in the Bible, right? <laughs> um, but no, you can you you uh, have done a lot of um, study in 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 this book, and I think it's actually going to go up on Focus Plus here in the next several months as far as a, a study class on it. But that's Song of Solomon, and the fact that Joe's brought up before. If sex is just for reproduction and procreation, what on earth is Song of Solomon doing in the Bible? And so, Joe, I'll let you go go off on that if you want, and go ahead and get started on that. But basically, as we're still answering the question, why did God create sex? We got to turn to places like Song of Solomon. Yeah, where does Song of Solomon ever mention kids and procreation? It doesn't. It's an entire book about sex, and people allegorize it. You know, is it allegorize? 
I think, where they make an allegory, right? Um, oh, it's about Christ and his church, or it's about God and his people. Okay, that is insanely explicit if that's the case. Um, I don't think that God and his people are talking about oral sex the way they are in the book. It is not an allegory. It is very much a physical thing, a physical love between two people. And whether you take it to be Solomon writing it or Solomon about a specific woman, him writing about the ideal or somebody writing under the name of Solomon, I'll get into that in, uh, in you know when we come out with it on Understudy for Focus Plus. But either way, this is the ideal in a relationship. This is a husband and wife choosing one another, and it walks through pre-marriage, into the marriage, and after marriage um, throughout the book, the timeline of the book. And it's a weird read, but it's so fascinating. And there's a couple of things that I think are important to point out. First off, again, no kids. It, it's not talking about that. It's about a husband and wife pleasing one another. Second off, there are mentions of God in this, or I think it's right toward the end. There is a mention of God, but it's, it's two clearly people grounded in God coming together, doing something that's beautiful. They're not having sex initially. Then they are, which is they're abstaining from it before marriage. Then they they have the marriage ceremony, right? And he comes in on his couch or whatever. And then they have it from there. So we can get a positive sexual theology from that. What I find very interesting in this book, both man and woman describe, and I think I went into this on the gym podcast, but both man and woman describe the other person's body. Now in ancient literature, we see this. This is very close to Egyptian poetry at the time. This is close to other other poets that are taking place, it's always the man describing the woman. It's it's a wooing her, right? In Song of Solomon, she describes the man. I find mm -hmm. that to be fascinating. Why is that so interesting? Because it shows this is a two-way street. A man and a woman are both supposed to be fulfilled in sex. That is biblical. That is something that, so you see all these women that as they get into marriage, it's like the whole job is just to, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to fulfill my husband and you're never really going to enjoy sex, but just give it to him and then things will get better. And, and he'll leave you alone for a time. No, that no, is not no. the picture Song of that Solomon paints. That is not the picture Song of Solomon paints. Scripture shows this is a man and woman coming together in unity. It's a beautiful thing. She is in love with his body just as much as he's in love with her body. And yes, bodies. They're not describing, oh, I just, he's so kind. You know, he treats me well. No, I love this about your body. He's so strong, his abs, you know, things like that. She's describing things that would make us blush if we were to read it from the pulpit. It is a beautiful description of you ought to find your wife beautiful. You ought to find your husband handsome. Why don't you bring that into the bedroom the way they do and to have this, this blossoming sex life that is just a beautiful thing that you're bringing together before God in a way that is intended to, to basically be the pinnacle of intimacy. And I really think that's what sex is. It's, that's why God created it. It's the pinnacle of intimacy. When you've been open spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, the physical follows. You will have a much better sex life when you are intimate in the other areas, as you kind of work up the triangle, so to speak, and that's a different thing, I'll maybe I'll do something on Focus Plus about that. But there is a beauty to sex when it's done in the proper context, and when both man and woman are, or the man and the woman are enjoying it, the husband and the wife. It is intended for both. So that's what drives me nuts the most is when the woman goes, "Well, that's a that's a male thing. We're not really supposed to enjoy sex." Wrong. <clears throat> Uh, try again, go read Song of Solomon and realize that this is a beautiful thing in scripture that points to that being the case. But I also think it's interesting that Satan is, what what does he attack first? So many of the major sins in the Bible are Satan attacking sex. You look at, as soon as Noah gets off the ark, right? Well, what do we see? What do we see in, what is it? Uh, Genesis four or Genesis six, rather with the Nephilim. They come down, they're mating with the, the you know, daughters of man. Uh, so there's sex involved. Get off the ark, Ham sees his father's nakedness. That's a sexual problem. Judah and Tamar is a sexual problem. Joseph is running from the woman, you know, Lot and his wife, wife or to, um, Lot and Lot, his daughters, I should say. Lot and his daughters and what's going on in, in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. That's just in Genesis alone. You go all the way throughout and how sexuality has really just been rampant. Temple prostitution is a big problem. Um, God, or, or Satan. Yeah, David and Bathsheba. Satan attacks people through sex all the time. And you can also see the way that there is an allegory speaking of God and his people because we see it with, with Hosea, right, and Gomer. There's an aspect of sex is intended to be holy. It's intended to be intimate. It's intended to be a covenant relationship, uh, you know, the blossoming or, or, again, the pinnacle of that covenant relationship. And that does very much mirror our relationship with God. So God uses sex throughout Scripture. Satan uses sex throughout Scripture to distort man's view I mean, it's a big thing, and people look at it and go, boy, the Bible didn't really have much to say about it. It has a lot to say about it. I want to add this. I mean, we said, and I think it's a very important point that Song of Solomon shows that sexuality is not purely procreational because, man, you look back on 
church history. And there were a lot of really messed up teachings of almost sex is bad. Sex is only for procreation or whatever. And, and so you need this corrective. On the other hand, we're at a time now where we need the other corrective of, Oh, and by the way, procreation is a really big part of this because yeah. you, you're, you've got this time and we've, we've railed against it before the, well, we don't really think we want to have kids like look. And again, always disclaimer. We're not talking about those who, who can't, those that can and, and have decided, well, we're just going to use, you know, medical to, to not, not make that happen. Like that almost always introduces problems to the marriage because you were designed for that. This is one of the purposes right. of it. And if it is and just, because that is a position founded on selfishness, almost yeah. without question. Well, and the other thing is it turns sex into, I mean, there, there, there's no production from it. There, there's no right. end to it on that sense. And so you're just, you know, again, might as well be, you, you don't need the other person there. I mean, like that is the two becoming one and that's the Genesis thing and all that. And so like, it is more than that, but it's not less than that. It's one of those things of like, you, you need it, an eye to that end and not like you're just constantly trying to have children, but that like, if, if you never want to, that's going to be a problem uh, in itself. And so it fulfills that it that's fulfills a, the bond. It, 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 it does all of these things at once. That's, that's a very valuable needed point because you do, you, you do see kind of that, that swing to the other side. I want to get into, cause Joe, I think you, you said, stated very well, basically the, the epitome of this is how much the Bible talks about it. And, and this is why it's a good thing. Let's. Did you have anything else to add before I get we into actually, the next big question? I'm just gonna. I'm gonna say, go listen to our Godly Young Man podcast on um, sex. In my opinion, I think we do even more of a deep dive on that. This one, we're trying to hit a lot. Um, on that one, we're we're hitting specifically the purpose of sex. I go a little deeper into some things. Um, just talk about it a little bit more. And Will, you have some really good thoughts on that as well. When well, we so talked I would about, say, go check that out. As you said, we talked about in the episode that if you're a young man and you don't know the purpose of sex, you probably shouldn't get married. And yet 80, 75 percent of young men who do get married don't know the purpose of it. And yeah, we wonder why everything's so messed up. So let's I want to get into this question. Uh, that's kind of the, the really the hot button question of the episode is should we I think we've already acknowledged that we should talk about it more. But should Christian men talk about this with their male friends and women with their with their female friends? In other words, does this conversation, sex life, sexuality, does it need to remain quote unquote in-house? Does it need to remain kind of, you know, stay under, stay under wraps, so to speak, and, and not really be brought up? Or is it, you know, within bounds, so to speak, for guys to talk about it with with other guys and obviously females to talk about it with other females? And if it can be, if, if if we think that it can be discussed, what are the out of bounds limits, so to speak? What are the things that's like, nope, that needs to stay between you and your spouse? Because I know that there are people who basically any kind of sexual discussion, their position is needs to stay between the husband and wife. And then there are also people who would go the other way and say, no, pretty much anything is is within bounds and on limits to discuss with, again, guys with guy friends and females with female, with female friends. I think I fall in the middle. Um, I don't think it's necessarily either one of the extremes there, but guys, what do you have to, to, because the thing that we, we started the episode talking about that is so critically important to understand is that Christian couples, husbands, wives, they have questions about this. They have curiosities about this. They have, you know, do other couples struggle with this? Like those types of questions that they can't really go to the church. Uh, they can, but most people don't go to the church for those answers. And so that that's be I guess the first thing that I would say in in my support for why I think Christian men can talk about it with with other Christian men and, and why females can do the same is because listen you understand that there are questions that you're going to have about your sex life that it's just one of those things that I don't know God created it we're supposed to have you know the church is supposed to be family I think there there is a time and a place for are you struggling in this area what are some things that maybe have helped you guys as a couple. And obviously, again, the more graphic and detailed you get is when you start getting into the out-of-bounds limits. But that's that's the first thing that I would bring up is that we're going to have struggles in these areas. I think we need to lean on each other in support you know, of, of fellow brothers and sisters. But what do you guys have to, to add about that as far as should it remain in-house or should it not? I would say always start from a place of respect for your spouse. I mean, like there's things yeah. there that don't need to be seen to be seen, things that we talked about uh, about them and, and the way they, they do things or are or certain things. Uh, and so always start with that. And similarly, the same gossip rules apply. Like if this is not something you're willing to talk about with them, you know, like it's one right. thing to go and ask for advice of like, Hey, my spouse does this and I'm not sure if, if 
that's normal or, or is it out of bounds for me to ask for this to be different or whatever? Like, okay, but don't be, don't have that conversation with somebody else that you wouldn't have with your spouse, because this is a thing that binds you two together more than anybody else on earth. And so it needs to be your thing. And these discussions are, should be to help your thing, not to vent, not to run them down, not to whatever else. And so I, I think start from that point, but with that in mind, then you can, you know, those are guidelines for moving forward, I guess. So I got a, I got a hot take. Um, and oh, oh boy, boy here it goes. I think it's been a while since I've had mm-hmm. one of these. We have, um, yeah. So for men, I would say in these groups, it's very easy to run your, run your spouse down, right? To run your wife down. If she doesn't do this, she doesn't do that. To your point, Jack, absolutely not. Um, this is not a time to vent in those ways. It's time to ask questions. I'm all for those groups. <clears throat> Here's my hot take. Women's groups are horrible. They are absolutely horrible. They are a, a breeding ground for terrible advice the, and for gossip. This is a hot take and a correct take, I will say. It is brutal yeah. because I will see these and and <laughs> my wife, there's there's occasionally anonymous ones that are sent or whatever. And as a therapist, you'll ask me, you know, so and so struggling with this. What are your thoughts on this? Like how what would you do with this? And you know, I tell her, well, you know, this is this. We had one just the other day. It was an anonymous thing about something. And she goes, what you just said is the exact opposite of what everybody else is saying. Now, that doesn't necessarily make me right, but she's <laughs> telling me some of the takes that they had. And it's like, this is horrible advice that would lead toward divorce. If if they are like, if this person takes this advice, it will not go well for them. But you've just- got a bunch of Dr. Phil's out there. And, and in women's groups, it's specifically bad where it's called gaslighting, where, oh, girl, you've got this. They're either feminist or in an attempt to not be feminist, they swing to the other direction. And your husband's always right. You can never question the fact that that he's out there with, you know, all these women, women uh, at, well, at his place of work and doesn't come home for nine hours. And you're going, huh, that's kind of weird. Uh, don't ever question him. He's working real hard. Are you kidding me? Are you I was going to ask you to give, give some some practical examples of that bad advice. Um, you know, again, I talking about being specific. What is it that is so bad about those? Like, what what are they what are they saying? Well, a lot of times they either push for just support your husband no matter what. Don't ever have questions. Don't ever question him because it will it will hurt his ego or whatever else. You can't possibly ask for him to change anything because that's really wrong. Or they go to you need to stand up for yourself and you probably just need to look to leave. You know, things like that. And that's on the extreme end, but I've seen a lot where it's either ultra feminist or ultra just, you just need to take whatever comes and don't ever, don't ever stand up for yourself. And I think that is terrible advice. So somebody comes with sexual issues and you usually are going to get one on one of those, you know, you're going to get some on those extremes. So what I would say is if you're a woman, be very, very, very choosy about who you talk to. And if you do put it out anonymously to one of those groups, just because somebody says it doesn't make it right. Everything Sorry, with I a was grain just... of salt. Go ahead, Joe. I'll finish. Go and then I've got no, no, no. a hot take as well. I was just going to say, I don't think these are discussions that need to be had over social media. I don't think Facebook yeah, groups are the, are the place for this. I think the pl- – when I read this question on our outline, and you know, should Christian men talk about with their male friends, women with their, with their women friends, I'm thinking around a coffee table. I'm thinking in person, yeah. like t- together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do not think Facebook groups are the place for this because I think we've, we've used this illustration before. Could you imagine a men's Facebook group? Where they're talking about this, like, no, that's weird. That's strange. But some reason for women, it's acceptable. This is one of the plagues of social media is we, we think that that is, you know, roundtabling something over social media is the best is the best place for it because it's more accessible for everybody. No, it's not. It is. Absolutely that would be well, that would be my only addition to your hot take is let's 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 kill the the social media Facebook groups of discussing when it's a, when it's as important of a topic as this and marriages are at stake and, and maybe even salvation is at stake. I'm sorry, get off of Facebook and actually do it in person or over the phone. Consider the source is one of the best pieces of advice we were always given, you know, growing up. And you don't know these people on social media. You don't know if they are marriage experts or if their marriage is in tatters and they're telling you, oh, I would do this. Like, what value is that? When you can look around your congregation and go, man, that church or that couple has been married 50 years and they seem happy as can be. And they raised a godly family and their kids are in church and all this. Go Take talk them to out that to person. Yeah. That's the person you're going to ask. <laughs> yeah, not exactly. you know your your girlfriend who has been married a year and a half. You guys might be able to commiserate. You know, it's nice to have somebody kind of in the the same place of life as you. But they also probably don't have great advice. All right, you're going to look for the success story. And the same anything else in life, would you ask the person whose life is a train wreck? No. So right. make sure you're asking people with good marriages for marriage advice. And that's so much Titus too the older teach the younger women to love their husbands and their, their children. 
this is what's needed is women that have the track record of loving a godly family and playing their part. They should be the ones dispensing advice. Don't go to somebody else, especially if you don't have a clue what, what their the guys don't is. go to your, don't go to your football fantasy league, you know, to, to those buddies and commiserate about things. Pick what I would say is pick two to three guys. Every guy needs a gang. I think women pick two to three people that you trust that you think are really in the inner circle. Jesus had his own. He had 12 and then he had Peter, James, John, right? He had an inner circle that were a lot closer together. I would say two to three people that you really feel you can trust. And to the older folks, we need you. We need your advice. You may have had the most sexually frustrated marriage of all time. There's still learning experiences there. You can say, this is what we did wrong. And this is how we, this is how, or where we went awry in our sex life. Make sure you don't make this mistake. If you had a fantastic sex life, good for you. Be willing to discuss that with somebody, but we really need the older people stepping up, being willing to have these conversations and not having it be so taboo that it's like, oh, we can't possibly say. You have a lot of younger people that are withering on the vine because they have no idea how to have a good, healthy sex life. And the only place they feel they can go to is Google or to a, a Facebook group with women that are getting, giving them terrible advice. Give them other options, please. So if you are older, please consider doing something like that. But I did mention the word taboo, fellas. I'm going to get into this, then we're going to get into our advice. I was going to say, we're, we're, we're like, what, 40, 45 minutes in and haven't even gotten the advice yet. So that's yeah, awesome. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting, there's a lot to cover. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna go through this fairly fast because this is something that, once again, we're going to give this. If you have your kids listening to this, I'm going to bring up some things that are highly uncomfortable, but they are questions that I get, and people do want to know. In yeah, we opinion. haven't really lived up to the disclaimer yet, so why, why don't you make that happen? <laughs> Take it Here's away, Joe. Here's yeah, the part. I'll let um, you talk. Okay. We have a lot of questions about, okay, what about types of sex, things like that? Uh, we're going to go through those. So oral sex. How do we feel about oral sex? I feel like in the real quick, real quick, just just because I think there to to set it up, there are people that basically would argue one position, one position only is all that's acceptable. Correct. Yeah, just to Correct. just to set that up, like that, that that's what we're discussing. Here. Oral sex is right. disgusting. It's degrading. You don't do that to somebody. It's in the Song of Solomon. I'm sorry, it's in the Song of Solomon. You read through that, there are absolute allusions to oral sex for both sides. Two, um, chapter two, verse three and four, verse 16, in case anybody's curious. Yeah, it, it's very much in the text. You can look at it and go, that's not what he's talking about there. He has, he uses allusions, basically. He alludes to it while talking, quote unquote, about something different. It's very interesting, the style of writing, but yes, it is, it is discussed there. So is oral sex degrading? No, I think everything or most things I should say, we're going to get into some of the things don't do. Most things are, in my opinion, lawful. In, in the marriage, as long as the two people are happy with it, where does this go wrong? One person really doesn't want to do it in the other forces. That's never the, the where you come from in, in the sexual relationship of, I really want to try it because maybe you're watching porn and you got a porn-fueled fantasy. Absolutely not. This person is the person you are to cherish and you are to love. Talk about these things. Who is comfortable with what? If the woman is only comfortable with one position, what I would encourage the woman to do is ask yourself why. Why am I only comfortable with the one? Is that something that you have learned going all the way back? So you talk about multiple positions. There's the, the standard, like the missionary position is the only position to do. Explore it within your marriage. If both are comfortable, that's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You're exploring and enjoying one another's bodies. Song of Solomon makes this very clear that they clearly explored certain things. They clearly were going beyond just the, the one position. Um, they enjoyed one another's bodies. That's the purpose of sex within a marriage is to enjoy that. And, and to, again, you can be creative on things like that. So for both of them, for both male and female, be creative, but talk with your spouse a lot and figure out what do they like? What positions turn them on? What certain, what certain things do they want? How much is foreplay involved? Some guys are, you know, they don't want foreplay at all. They want to go right to it, but the woman really wants it. You always hear the the woman is the crock pot. The guy is the microwave. That's not always the case. Don't always believe stereotypes. That That is a stereotype, but at the same time, that is not always the case. I have some guys that without foreplay, they have a difficult time. So don't feel weird about it. I'm, I'm looking to normalize it of sexual issues are normal in a marriage, but also don't and always Jack's go by point, the stereotypes. Communicate about it to the Echo Jack's point, yes. like between you two as a couple. Absolutely. Yeah, because okay. that yeah, was uh, just on the communication thing. Uh, you know, a friend had uh, pointed out on that point about like start from the ground up. Don't let outside expectations do you know right. set this for you. You don't have to please anybody but your spouse. 
there is not like some standard like nobody's watching nobody knows no like if you guys are happy with this and, and and like you're communicating and it's very much clear hey this fulfills both of us you don't have to like take it up a notch or do like different like if the husband's happy the wife's happy you know if if you're harboring something like boy i, I don't like this or i wish we'd do you know x y or, z, or whatever it may be communicate but if the communication's open and you're both you know satisfied by it and, and the amount of time you're spending doing it and and all that stuff you don't owe anybody else a a, a more varied a more you know whatever this is only you're the only two people you have to please here right right um last few things we'll get into just because again it's it's the taboo but while we're here what about masturbation as a couple now some people have been given horrible advice of if you're struggling in your sex life watch some porn together that'll kind of heat heat it up right it'll get things real hot in the bedroom and then that'll help you guys don't ever 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 invite pornography into the bedroom i've heard of christian couples who have been told that by christian therapists because you're essentially um, inviting other people into the bedroom with you that's exactly it get rid of get rid of that therapist don't ever speak to them again don't ever refer them again if if the words go watch porn ever come out of a therapist's mouth you're done don't ever go back to them um that is that is beyond anything that that should be allowed into the bedroom however what about masturbation you have guys that masturbate alone without their wives um Things like we're getting graphic here, vibrators, things like that for women are a thing. Uh, a lot of people wonder about that and, and say, is this right? Is this wrong? Now, I'll ask you guys what you think about it. My personal take is do not ever do anything apart from your spouse that they don't know and that they're not okay with. So a guy masturbating, even if it's the pictures of his wife or whatever else and the wife is unaware, I, I am not, I'm not okay with that because it's intended to be a bonding thing between both of them if they both decide that that's okay they're both aware of it again i'm pretty pretty much like there's freedom within the marriage as long as both are okay with it so in my opinion i think if the heart is right and if it is something where both are aware of it i don't have as much of a problem with it however i do have a problem when it's a secret thing and then it, it, it you know they find out later and go well, i'm sorry what you've been no wonder why you don't want sex with me at night is because you've been masturbating five times a day even if it is to something like my pictures Whatever it is, that's, in my opinion, not okay at all. But what do you guys think about that? In the sense, we've talked about a little bit of everything else in the marriage flows into the bedroom and the bedroom also to the marriage. Training yourself to think I don't need them for this part of it is very, it's going to have effects elsewhere. You're going to think you don't need them in a lot of ways. And so engaging in your own sexuality that way, no, they they need to be a part of it. Like you said, they need to be informed. They need to be on board with, with whatever's happening. Nothing to add there. I, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I would not look to make that a, a regular habit, to be honest with you. Um, if if that is guys away on a vacation or guys away on a work trip or whatever else, and that's what you guys decide, that's that's different. Um, I if, if at all possible, have sex. Connect with your spouse. Do not get used to self-pleasuring, even if they're okay with it. Uh, pushing boundaries, last little thing we're going to get into. This is the, some people feel the need to, again, spice it up, to push boundaries, to kind of bring their poor and fuel fantasies. And guys don't always recognize it, but they find themselves really, well, I really wanted to try anal. That's not normal. That's not natural. In my opinion, that's not, that's not what the body is intended to do. You wouldn't do that if it wasn't in porn. Let's just be honest. You would not do that if it was not a pornography fueled thing. So in my opinion, stay away from that. Open marriages, including other people, threesomes, things like that. Um, no. This is between a husband and a wife. Well, we both decided we're okay with it. No, that breaks unity. That breaks the bond. It invites, really, it invites Satan into the relationship. Absolutely, on no and, and no uncertain terms, should you ever invite somebody else in. Um, sex is a, a beautiful thing between a husband and a wife. It was perverted back in the Old Testament. It caused all sorts of issues. It's been perverted throughout history. It caused all sorts of issues. Do not ever invite somebody into the bedroom that I don't care if both are okay with it. That is not okay. That's not a call for both of you to make. That's between you and God. Somebody else is not okay. BDSM, um, you know, the porn-esque sex. Once again, I would say you need to ask yourself, why are you pushing to spice it up, quote unquote? Why are you trying different things? Usually it's, again, porn-fueled. And if it's not, why would you go to that? Why would you want to inflict pain and something like that? Um, usually those are control based. There's a control issue there. You have some serious issues that you need to work out in therapy before you start having, in my opinion, bondage and things like that in your, in your sex life. I would still say that stays between a husband and a wife if both are okay. But at the same time, you need to consider why you have the specific sexual desires that you do. 
Uh, some of those are perverted for a reason. There's a reason we don't do it. And you'll find wanting to invite somebody in is, is low self-esteem, right? You want to, you want to bring somebody in because either you don't feel you can please your wife or because you don't feel she's pleasing you. That's a very selfish thing. BDSM is, is usually around control as is anal, things like that. There are reasons why you're doing it and it's not ultimately to please your spouse, but to please yourself in my opinion. So fellas, I don't know if there's anything else you'd add on that, but yeah, there's one, the like role-playing fornication, adultery, whatever else, even if you're pretending it's why are you pretending that? Well, because forbidden fruit tastes sweetest. No, I mean, reading song of Solomon, it's not the forbidden fruit. It's you need to learn to enjoy right. the fruit that you've been given. Like the, the positive, mm -hmm. like this, this should not be a taboo. I'm getting away with something. And, and there's a reason why I'm getting away with something is appealing. That's what we're trying to get out of, of this whole thing of like, I'm enjoying this with somebody that God has given me. And, and that's the good thing to have, not, man, I'm getting away with something like that's, I don't, I don't think that's healthy in itself either. Um, all right. So I think we have time to get through these. Uh, if we, yeah, we're, 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 yeah, we're, we're going to come up on, Are you sure? uh, oh, I you think, say, I think if we do, if we, if I we don't want to rush through these last ones is, is the only thing I was thinking about. I genuinely okay. think if I, if we took a little more time, we probably could get a full episode out of, out of all four. Um, in my opinion, and you also have something I don't want to skip on the outline, Jack, because you added this of the masculinity and femininity um, role fulfillment, right? When we're fulfilling those roles, either adds to or detracts from the sexual relationship. I wanted to discuss that and maybe end on that, and then we can do the advice in the next episode. Um, That's true because I, I, I don't, I guess I kind of know why, but more than anything else that we talk about, that's the thing we get interested in that people ask us about is. Men being men, women being women, it's so lacking. It's so undiscussed or, well, it's not undiscussed. It's just wrongly discussed. It is, it's yeah. bad. Uh, and that uh, we haven't really touched on the sexuality side of it. And so I think uh, making room for that as part of this is probably a good thing. Yeah, so let's, wrap I, up, uh, let's wrap up with that, with the okay. discussion. And then right. we'll get into advice next next week. I could say we do it. Well, no, the... I'm, I'm saying get into that. I, I get, we'll into that get into week. that next oh, week. Yeah, I agree yeah. with okay. that. Yeah, yeah, make that like the first half of the next episode because I think there's a a lot there that I don't I don't think we can hit in five minutes. So, uh, all right. So any any now now we have to come up with a con conclusion on the fly since we're not going through the rest. No, of No, I would just here. say I mean we always say this basically, but like especially for purposes of the deep end, our focus plus subscribers, we want to hear from everybody. You know, this is something that you know you're gonna feel awkward typing it out or, or whatever it is. Listen. We, we, the, one of the whole points of this episode has been that we need to start discussing this. We need to start making this a, I don't necessarily want to say normal part of, of, of our lives because a lot of it does need to stay, you know, in the bedroom, husband and wife. But as we've hit throughout the entire episode, if you don't talk about it as a couple, you don't talk about it as a family, you don't talk about it as the church, it's only going to lead to the state that we're in, which is messed up marriages in a lot of cases, messed up sex lives. And so, yeah, I, we're, we're excited to, to hear the, the feedback, the comments, maybe some questions that, that we've got. And we are going to um, cover the advice and things in the next episode, because I know that's, that's uh, again, a lot of the practical stuff that is very, very helpful for people. And so we're going to develop that a little bit more and, and come back next week with, you know, Hey, we don't have all the answers, but we are willing to talk about what we believe might be all the answers. And so we're going to cover that next episode. And so, yeah, comments, feedback, questions are always appreciated. Um, guys, anything, anything to add to, maybe preview next week or anything to, to add before we wrap up. I'm going to say briefly, you know, I had turned to song of Solomon to look at the verses uh, that you referenced. If you're married, sit down and read through that. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Every time, you know, it's not like I spend a lot of time reading it. And so you, you come to it pretty infrequently. And when you do, it's like, that, that oh. is in the Bible. Wow. Okay. <laughs> right. You know, it's uh, so no, uh, I think, I think it'd be very helpful for Christian couples to spend time I, reading that together. I told so. the story on Jim. I taught at a Nashville school of preaching and I had one guy show up to the entire class. Shout out to that <laughs> one guy. guy as we were going. So shout out to Jerry. I don't know if he listens. Great guy. Great brother in Christ. Uh, we had a good time just discussing these things. He had never read the book before we get to the end. And he a goes, lot That's of people really haven't, man. <laughs> That's really sexual. I'm like, you didn't know what you were what, like, what the class was as he walked in. No, I just thought we'd, you know, thought it'd be something else. So yeah, it's a lot of people have not read it. Jack, you're, Exactly right. Go read that as a couple. Enjoy that and enjoy one another. That's really what I want out of this is enjoy your spouse. Sex is intended to be incredibly enjoyable. It's, inc it's incredibly fulfilling. It's supposed to be intimate. It's supposed to be a lot of different things. 
And um, man, yeah, sit down and talk about how are we going to have the best sex life possible? It's important. Don't relegate this to something to the back of it. Well, yeah, we'll get around to that. No, it is important. It's it's a you know bonding thing. It's a unifying thing, an intimate thing. So make sure that you're talking about it and make sure you're pushing for that. And um, yeah, fellas, anything else? All right, with that, we will wrap up and we will talk to you guys again next week about the same subject. Uh, we're going to get into a little more practical advice again for pre-marriage, young marriage, uh, young married, married with kids and older married as well. We're going to get into the roles, feminine, masculine, things like that, how that affects. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you.